0: Thanks so much for your listenership and support. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 21 and 22 of The Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 21 Ben Weatherstaff One of the strange things about living in the world is that it is only now and then one is quite sure one is going to live forever and ever and ever. One knows it sometimes when one gets up at the tender, solemn dawn time. And goes out and stands alone, and throws one's head far back, and looks up and up, and watches the pale sky slowly changing and flushing, and marvellous unknown things happening, until the east almost makes one cry out, and one's heart stands still at the strange, unchanging majesty of the rising sun, which has been happening every morning for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. One knows it then for a moment or so, and one knows it sometimes when one stands by oneself in a wood at sunset and the mysterious, deep, gold stillness slanting through and under the branches, seems to be saying, slowly, again and again, something one cannot quite hear, however much one tries. Then, sometimes the immense quiet of the dark blue at night, with millions of stars waiting and watching, makes one sure and sometimes a sound of far-off music makes it true, and sometimes a look in someone's eyes. And it was like that for Colin when he first saw and heard and felt the springtime inside the four walls of a hidden garden. That afternoon... The whole world seemed to devote itself to being perfect and radiantly beautiful and kind to one boy. Perhaps out of pure heavenly goodness, the spring came and crowded everything it possibly could into that one place. More than once Dickon paused in what he was doing and stood still with a sort of growing wonder in his eyes, shaking his head softly. "Eh, yeah, it is greatly,' he said. "'I'm twelve going on thirteen, and there's a lot of afternoons in thirteen years, but seems to me like I never seed one as greatly as this year.' "'I,' It is a greatly one, said Mary, and she sighed for mere joy. I warrant it's the greatliest one as ever was in this world. Does that think, said Colin, with dreamy carefulness, as happen in what made like this ere all o' purpose for me? My word cried Mary admiringly that there is a bit of good yorkshire that a shape in first rate that thou art and delight reigned they drew the chair under the plum tree which was snow white with blossoms and musical with bees it was like a king's canopy fairy kings. There were flowering cherry trees near, and apple trees whose buds were pink and white, and here and there one had burst open wide. Between the blossoming branches of the canopy, bits of blue sky looked down like wonderful eyes. Mary and Dickon worked a little here and there, and Colin watched them. They brought him things to look at, buds which were opening, buds which were tight closed, bits of twig whose leaves were just showing green, the feather of a woodpecker which had dropped on the grass, the empty shell of some bird early hatched. Dickin pushed the chair slowly round and round the garden stopping every other moment to let him look at wonders springing out of the earth or trailing down from the trees it was like being taken in state round the country of a magic king and queen and shown all the mysterious riches it contained "'I wonder if we shall see the robin,' said Colin. "'That'll see him often, now, after a bit,' answered Dickon. "'When to eggs hatches out at a tut little chap, he'll be kept so busy it'll make his head swim. "'That'll see him flying backwards and forwards, carrying worms, nigh as big as himself.' And that much noise going on in t'nest nest when he gets there As fair flusters him so as he scarce knows which big mouth to drop to first piece in And gaping beaks and squawks on every side Mother says as when she's t'work work A robin has to keep them gaping beaks filled She feels like she was a lady with nothing to do she says she seen to little chaps when it seemed like to sweet must be off em, though Fork can't see it. This made them giggle so delightedly that they were obliged to cover their mouths with their hands, remembering that they must not be heard. Colin had been instructed as to the law of whispers and low voices, several days before. He liked the mysteriousness of it, and did his best, but in the midst of excited enjoyment, it is rather difficult never to laugh above a whisper. Every moment of the afternoon was full of new things, and every hour the sunshine grew more golden The wheeled chair had been drawn back under the canopy, and Dickon had sat down on the grass and had just drawn out his pipe. When Colin saw something, he had not had time to notice before. That's a very old tree over there, isn't it? Dickon looked across the grass at the tree, and Mary looked and there was a brief moment of stillness. Yes, answered Dickon after it, and his low voice had a very gentle sound. Mary gazed at the tree and thought, The branches are quite grey, and there's not a single leaf anywhere, Colin went on. It's quite dead, isn't it? I Admitted Dickon. But them roses as has climbed all over it will near hide every bit o the dead wood when they're full of leaves and flowers. It won't look dead then. It'll be to prettiest of all. Mary still gazed at the tree and thought. It looks as if a big branch had been broken off, said Colin. I wonder how it was done. It's been done many a year, answered Dickon. Eh, with a sudden relieved start and laying his hand on Colin. Look at that robin, there he is. He's been foraging for his mate. Colin was almost too late, but he just caught sight of him. The flash of red-breasted bird with something in its beak. He darted through the greenness and into the close-grown corner and was out of sight. Colin leaned back on his cushion again, laughing a little. He's taking her tea to her. Perhaps it's five o'clock. I think I'd like some tea myself. And so they were safe. It was magic which sent the robin, said Mary secretly to Dickon afterwards. I know it was magic, for both she and Dickon had been afraid Colin might ask something about the tree whose branch had broken off ten years ago, and they had talked it over together, and Dickon had stood and rubbed his head in a troubled way. We mun look as if it wasn't no different from t other trees, he had said. We could never tell him how it broke, poor lad. If he says anything about it, we mun, we mun try to look cheerful. Aye, that we mun, answered Mary. But she had not felt as if she looked cheerful when she gazed at the tree. She wondered and wondered in those few moments if there was any reality in that other thing Dickon had said. He had gone on rubbing his rusty red hair in a puzzled way, but a nice comforted look had begun to grow in his blue eyes. Mrs. Craven was a very lovely young lady, he had gone on rather hesitatingly and mother she thinks maybe she's about middle sweet many a time looking after Mr. Colin same as all mothers do when they're took out of the world they have to come back that's ease happen she's been in the garden and happen it was her set us to work and told us to bring him here Mary had thought he meant something about magic. She was a great believer in magic. Secretly, she quite believed that Dickon worked magic, of course, good magic, on everything near him, and that was why people liked him so much, and wild creatures knew he was their friend. She wondered, indeed, if it were not possible but his gift had brought the robin just at the right moment when Colin asked that dangerous question. She felt that his magic was working all the afternoon and making Colin look like an entirely different boy. It did not seem possible that he could be the crazy creature who had screamed and beaten and bitten his pillow, Even his ivory whiteness seemed to change. The faint glow of colour which had shone on his face and neck and hands when he first got inside the garden, really never quite died away. He looked as if he were made of flesh instead of ivory or wax. They saw the robin carry food to his mate two or three times and it was so suggestive of the afternoon tea that Colin felt they must have some. Go and make one of the men servants bring some in a basket to the rhododendron walk he asked and then you and Dickin can bring it here. It was an agreeable idea easily carried out and when the white cloth was spread upon the grass with hot tea and buttered toast and crumpets, a delightfully hungry meal was eaten, and several birds on domestic errands paused to inquire what was going on and were led into investigating crumbs with great activity. Nut and shell whisked up trees with pieces of cake, and Soot took the entire half of a buttered crumpet into a corner and pecked at it and examined and turned it over and made hoarse remarks about it, until he decided to swallow it all joyfully in one gulp. The afternoon was dragging towards its mellow hour. The sun was deepening the gold of its lances, the bees were going home, and the birds were flying past less often. Dickon and Mary were sitting on the grass, the tea basket was repacked, ready to be taken back to the house, and Colin was lying against his cushions with his heavy locks pushed back from his forehead and his face quite natural in colour. "'I don't want this afternoon to go,' he said, "'but I shall come back tomorrow, "'and the day after, "'and the day after, "'and the day after. "'You'll get plenty of fresh air, won't you?' said Mary. "'I'm going to get nothing else,' he answered." I've seen the spring now, and I'm going to see the summer. I'm going to see everything grow here. I'm going to grow myself here. That, that will, said Dickon. "I will have thee walking about here and digging, same as other folk afore long. Colin flushed tremendously. Walk, he said. Dig. Shall I? Dickens' glance at him was delicately cautious. Neither he nor Mary had ever asked if anything was the matter with his legs. For sure that will, he said stoutly. That, has got legs on thine own, same as other folks. Mary was rather frightened until she heard Colin's answer. Nothing really ails them, he said, but they are so thin and weak, they shake so that I'm afraid to try and stand on them. Both Mary and Dickon drew a relieved breath. When that stops being afraid, that'll stand on them, Dickon said with renewed cheer, and that'll stop being afraid in a bit. I shall, said Colin, and he lay still, as if he were wondering about things. They were really very quiet for a little while. The sun was dropping lower. It was that hour when everything stills itself, and they really had a busy and exciting afternoon. Colin looked as if he were resting luxuriously. Even the creatures had ceased moving about and had drawn together and were resting near them. Soot had perched on a low branch and drawing up one leg and dropped the grey film drowsily over his eyes. Mary privately thought he looked as if he might snore in a minute. In the midst of this stillness, It was rather startling when Colin half-lifted his head and examined in a loud, suddenly alarmed whisper. Who is that man? Dickon and Mary scrambled to their feet. Man, they both cried in a low, quick voice. Colin pointed to the high wall. Look, he whispered excitedly. Just look. Mary and Dickon wheeled about and looked. There was Ben Weatherstaff's indignant face glaring at them over the wall from the top of a ladder. He actually shook his fist at Mary. If I wasn't a bachelor and that was a wench of mine, he cried, I'd give thee a hiding. He mounted another step threateningly, as if it were his energetic intention to jump down and deal with her. But as she came towards him, he evidently thought better of it, and stood on the top of the step of his ladder, shaking his fist down at her. I never throut much o' thee, he harangued. "'I couldn't abide thee T' first time I set eyes on thee, "'a scrawny buttermilk-faced young besom, "'Ailus a-skin questions a-porkin' "'that knows where it wasna wanted. "'I never knowed how that got so thick with me, "'if it had been for to robin'. "'Drat him!' "'Ben Weatherstaff called out Mary, "'finding her breath. She stood below him and called up to him with a sort of gasp. Ben Weatherstaff, it was the robin who showed me the way. Then it did seem as if Ben really would scramble down on her side of the wall. He was so outraged. That young badun, he called down at her, laying that badness on a robin. Not what he's impudent and how for anything. Him showing the to way. Him. eh, That young knout. She could see his next words burst out because he was overpowered by curiosity. However in this world did that get in? It was the robin who showed me the way, she protested obstinately. He didn't know what he was doing, but he did. And I can't tell you from here while you're shaking your fist at me. He stopped shaking his fist very suddenly at that very moment, and his jaw actually dropped as he stared over at her head at something he saw coming over the grass towards him. At the first sound of his torrent of words, Colin had been so surprised that he had only sat up and listened as if he were spellbound, but in the midst of it he had recovered himself and beckoned imperiously to Dickon. Wheel me over there, he commanded, wheel me quite close and stop right in front of him. And this, if you please, this is what Ben Weatherstaff beheld, and which made his jaw drop. A wheeled chair with luxurious cushions and robes, which came towards him, looking rather like some sort of state couch, because a young Raja leaned back in it with royal command in his great black-rimmed eyes, and a thin white hand extended haughtily towards him. And it stopped right under Ben Weatherstaff's nose. It was really no wonder his mouth dropped open. Do you know who I am? demanded the Raja. How Ben Weatherstaff stared. His red old eyes fixed themselves on what was before him as if he were seeing a ghost. He gazed and gazed and gulped a lump down his throat and did not say a word. "'Do you know who I am?' demanded Colin, still more imperiously. "'Answer.' Ben Weatherstaff put his gnarled hand up and passed it over his eyes, "'and over his forehead, "'and then he did answer in a queer, shaky voice. "'Who the heart?' he said. "'Aye, that I do, "'with that mother's eyes staring at me from out that face. "'Lord knows how that come here, "'but that are that poor cripple.' "'Colin forgot that he had ever had a back.' His face flushed scarlet, and he sat bolt right up. "'I'm not a cripple,' he cried out furiously. "'I'm not.' "'He's not,' cried Mary, almost shouting up the wall in her fierce indignation. "'He's not got a lump as big as a pin. "'I looked, and there was none there, not one.' Ben Weatherstaff passed his hand over his forehead again and gazed as if he could never gaze enough. His hand shook and his mouth shook and his voice shook. He was an ignorant old man and a tactless old man and he could only remember the things he had heard. That, that hasn't got a crooked back he said hoarsely. No, shouted Colin. The that hasn't got crooked legs, quavered Ben more hoarsely yet. It was too much. The strength with which Colin usually threw into his tantrums rushed through him now in a new way. Never yet had he been accused of crooked legs even in whispers, and the perfectly simple belief in their existence, which was revealed by Ben Weatherstaff's voice, was more than Raja flesh and blood could endure. His anger and insulted pride made him forget everything but this one moment, and filled him with a power he had never known before, an almost unnatural. Strength. Come here, he shouted to Dicken, and he actually began to tear the covering off his lower limbs and disentangled himself. Come here, come here, this minute. Dicken was by his side in a second. Mary caught her breath in a short gasp and felt herself turn pale. He can do it. He can do it. He can do it. He can. She gabbled over to herself under her breath as fast as ever she could. There was a brief, fierce scramble. The rugs were tossed on the ground. Dickon held Colin's arm. The thin legs were out. The thin feet were on the grass. Colin was standing upright, upright, as straight as an arrow, and looking strangely tall, his head thrown back and his strange eyes flashing lightning. Look at me, he flung up at Ben Weatherstaff. Look at me, you. Just look at me. He's as straight as I am, cried Dickin. He's as straight as any lad in Yorkshire. What Ben Weatherstaff did, Mary thought queer beyond measure. He choked and gulped, and suddenly tears ran down his weather-wrinkled cheeks as he struck his old hands together. Eh, he burst forth, to lies folk tells "'that art as thin as a lath, as as white as a rath. "'But there's not a knob on thee that'll make a mont yet. "'God bless thee.' "'Dicken held Colin's arm strongly, but the boy had not begun to falter. "'He stood straighter and straighter and looked Ben Weatherstaff in the face. "'I'm your master.' He said, when my father is away, and you are to obey me, this is my garden. Don't dare to say a word about it. You get down from that letter and go out to the long walk, and Miss Mary will meet you and bring you here. I want to talk to you. We did not want you, but now you will have to be in the secret. Be quick. Then, where the staff's crabbed, old face was still wet with that one queer rush of tears, it seemed as if he could not take his eyes from thin, straight Colin, standing on his feet with his head thrown back. "Eh, lad," he almost whispered, "eh, my lad." And then, remembering himself, he suddenly touched his hat. Gardener fashioned, and said, Yes, sir, yes, sir, and obediently disappeared as he descended the ladder. Chapter 22 When the Sun Went Down When his head was out of sight, Colin turned to Mary. Go and meet him, he said, and Mary flew across the grass to the door under the ivory. Dickon was watching him with sharp eyes. There were scarlet spots on his cheeks, and he looked amazing, but he showed no signs of falling. I can stand, he said, and his head was still held up and he said it quite grandly. I told thee that could as soon as that stop being afraid, answered Dickon, and I stopped. Yes, I've stopped, said Colin. Then suddenly he remembered something Mary had said. Are you making magic? he asked sharply. Dickens' curly mouth spread in a cheerful grin that's not doing magic thistle he said it's seem magic as made these ear work out to earth and he touched with his thick boot a clump of crocuses in the grass Colin looked down at them aye he said slowly there couldna be bigger magic than that there there couldna be. He drew himself up straighter than ever. I'm going to walk to that tree, he said, pointing to one a few feet away from him. I'm going to be standing when Weatherstaff comes here. I can rest against the tree if I like. When I want to sit down, I will sit down, but not before Bring a rug from the chair. He walked to the tree, and though Dickon held his arm, he was wonderfully steady. When he stood against the tree trunk, it was not too plain that he supported himself against it, and he still held himself so straight that he looked tall. When Ben Weatherstaff came through the door in the wall, he saw him standing there and he heard Mary muttering something under her breath. What art saying? he asked rather testily because he did not want his attention distracted from the long, thin, straight boy figure and proud face. But she did not tell him. What she was saying was this. You can do it. You can do it. I told you you could. You can do it. You can do it. You can. She was saying it to Colin because she wanted to make magic and keep him on his feet, looking like that. She could not bear that he could give in before Ben Weatherstaff. He did not give in. She was uplifted by a sudden feeling that he looked quite beautiful In spite of his thinness, he fixed his eyes on Ben Weatherstaff in his funny, imperious way. "'Look at me,' he commanded. "'Look at me all over. Am I a hunchback? Have I got crooked legs?' Ben Weatherstaff had not quite got over his emotion, but he had recovered a little, "'and answered almost in his usual way. "'Not that,' he said. "'Now on to sort. "'What's that been doing with this all, "'hiding out a sight and letting Fort think that was a cripple and half-witted?' "'Half-witted,' said Colin angrily. "'Who thought that?' "'Lots of fools,' said Ben.' at worlds full of jackasses, brain, and they never brain out but lies. What did that shut this a lot for? Everyone thought I was going to die," said Colin shortly. "I'm not." And he said it with such decision. Ben Weatherstaff looked him over, up and down, down and up. That die. He said with dry exultation, "Now o' the sort, I's got too much pluck in thee. When I see thee put the legs on the ground in such a hurry, I knowed that that was all right. Sit thee down on the rug a bit, young mister, and give me thy orders." There was a queer mixture of crabbed tenderness. And shrewd understanding in his manner. Mary had poured out speech as rapidly as she could as they had come down the long walk. The chief thing to be remembered, she had told him, was that Colin was getting well, getting well. The garden was doing it. No one must let him remember about having humps and dying. The Raja condescended to seat himself on a rug under the tree. "'What work do you do in the gardens, Weatherstaff?' he inquired. "'Anything I'm told to do,' answered old Ben. "'I'm kept on by favour because she liked me.' "'She,' said Colin. "'That mother,' answered Ben Weatherstaff. "'My mother,' said Colin, and he looked about him quietly. "'This was her garden, wasn't it? "'Aye, it was that, and Ben Weatherstaff looked about him too. "'She will remain fond of it.' "'It is my garden now. I am fond of it. "'I shall come here every day,' announced Colin." But it is to be a secret. My orders are that no one is to know that we come here. Dicken and my cousin have worked and made it come to life. I shall send for you sometimes to help, but you must come when no one can see you. Ben Weatherstaff's face twisted itself into a dry, old smile. I've come here before when no one saw me, he said. What? exclaimed Colin. When? That last time I was here, rubbing his chin and looking round, was about two years ago. But no one has been in it for ten years, cried Colin. There was no door. I'm no one, said old Ben. Dryly, and I didn't come through to door, I came over to wall, to rheumatics held me back to last two years. That common did a bit of pruning, cried Dickin, I couldn't make out how it had been done. She was so fond of it she was, said Ben Weatherstaff slowly. "'and she was such a pretty young thing. "'She says to me once, "'Ben,' says she laughing, "'if ever I'm ill, or if I go away, "'you must take care of my roses.' "'When she did go away, "'to orders was no one was ever to come nigh, "'but I come with grumpy obstinance. "'Over to all I come.' Until T rheumatic stopped me, and I did a bit of work once a year. She'd gave her orders first. It wouldn't have been as wick as it was if it hadn't been done, said Dicken. I did wonder. I'm glad you did it, Weatherstaff, said Colin. You'll know how to keep the secret. Aye I know, sir, answered Ben and it will be easier for a man with rheumatics to come in at the door. On the grass near the tree, Mary had dropped her trowel. Colin stretched out his hand and took it up. An odd expression came into his face, and he began to scratch at the earth. His thin hand was weak enough, but presently, as they watched him, mary with quite breathless interest he drove the end of the trowel into the soil and turned some over you can do it you can do it said mary to herself i tell you you can dickens round eyes were full of eager curiousness but he said not a word ben weatherstaff looked on with interested face Colin persevered after he had turned a few trowelfuls of soil he spoke exultantly to Dickon in his best Yorkshire that said as that would have me walkin' about here same as other folk and that said that'd have me diggin'. I thought that was just lean to please me this is only to first day, and I've walked, and here I am digging. Ben Weatherstaff's mouth fell open again when he heard him, but he ended by chuckling. Here, he said, that sounds as if that has got wits and now Ah, a Yorkshire lad for sure, and that digging too. How'd that like? to plant a bit of something. I can get thee a rose in a pot. Go and get it, said Colin, digging excitedly. Quick, quick. It was done quickly enough indeed. Ben Weatherstaff went his way, forgetting rheumatics. Dickin took his spade and dug the hole deeper and wider than a new digger with thin white hands could make it. Mary slipped out to run and bring back a watering can. When Dickon had deepened the hole, Colin went on turning the soft earth over and over. He looked up at the sky, flushed and glowing with the strangely new exercise, slight as it was. I want to do it before the sun goes quite, quite down, he said. Mary thought that perhaps the sun held back a few minutes, just on purpose. Ben Weatherstaff brought the rose in its pot from the greenhouse. He hobbled over the grass as fast as he could. He had begun to be excited too. He knelt down by the side of the hole and broke the pot from the mould. "'Ear, lad,' he said, handing the plant to Colin. "'Set it in the earth, this elf, same as the king does when he goes to a new place.' The thin white hands shook a little, and Colin's flash grew deeper as he set the rose in the mould and held it while old Ben made firm the earth. It was filled in and pressed down and made steady. Mary was leaning forward on her hands and knees. Soot had flown down and marched forward to see what was being done. Nut and shell chattered about it from a cherry tree. It's planted said Colin at last and the sun is only slipping over the edge help me up Dickon I want to be standing when it goes that's part of the magic and Dickon helped him and the magic or whatever it was so gave him strength that when the sun did slip over the edge and end the strange lovely afternoon for them There he actually stood on his two feet, laughing.